0: Hi, everybody out there in podcast land. This is Rabbi David Foreman. I'm here with our executive producer, Ms. Rifki Stern. Hello, Rabbi Foreman. How are you today? Hi, I am doing very well, and we are back for another episode of Parsha Lab, Parsha Nasso, And uh, we are going to be looking at something kind of interesting, which I'm going to tease for you in a second after uh, I introduce Rifki one more time, who's going to talk to you about something she really wanted to talk to you about, which <laughs> is two kinds of subscriptions, which nope, someone nope, like my nope. age, like a not a digital native, would not know. They get them mixed up. Subscribe to the podcast. Oh, subscribe to the, the website. I don't even understand. Rifki, explain it to us.
1: Okay. Just wanted to encourage everyone, whether you're listening on a podcast app, whether you're listening on a website, however you're listening to this, the easiest way to make sure that you do not miss an episode is to go straight to your podcast app, whether that's iTunes, whether that's Stitcher, whether you use SoundCloud, whatever you use, and make sure to subscribe. And if you feel so inclined, of course, rate and review us in the iTunes store. All right, now let's dive into Naso. Rick tell us about it.
0: Okay, so uh, Rivki, what I want to talk to you about today is an idea that we have been batting around a little bit with the office. It began with an observation by Emmanuel Shalev of a tantalizing possible clue that, you know, I spent some time thinking about and I think might be the beginning of something here. The backstory is that this has to do with a section of text in this week's Parsha that has to do with the Sotah. Um, Rifky, you want to give our, our our listeners a little bit of the, the backstory here on the Sotah?
1: Sure. Basically, I think the, the laws of the Sotah deal with a marriage in crisis. There is a man who is very suspicious of his wife. And she doesn't do anything to sort of uh, make that suspicion go away. She ends up being alone with another man after he warned her not to be alone with that man. And then she is brought to have some sort of ritual with the Kohen, with the priest, to find out whether she actually cheated on her husband.
0: And it's a very strange ritual. Um, That's correct. It just is mysterious. Uh, One of the most mysterious things you're going to find. Uh, in Sefer Bamidbar. Uh, she goes before the Kohen. And by the way, it should be emphasized that this is entirely voluntary, right? She doesn't need to submit to this process. As you correctly noted, the marriage is in crisis. It seems to be the victim of mutual suspicion or mutual anger or mutual scorn. Um, mm-hmm. The husband is is jealous in the words of the text, right? Possibly paranoid, possibly justified. We don't know. He doesn't know. He goes and he... And he uh, asks his wife, or or almost makes a demand of her, and says, I, "I need you to 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 not be in intimate seclusion with this other man. I think there might be something going on between you guys," and uh, basically, instead of them kind of working it out together and somehow uh, achieving some kind of reassurance in the normal way that couples would handle these things. Um, she, she seems to invite two witnesses to watch her uh, <laughs> flaunt that warning. It's a, like, come here, Bob and Sam, watch troubled me go secluded indeed. with Phil. Yeah, it's a troubled marriage indeed. And and so she scorns this and, and and secludes herself with this guy, almost as if to taunt him. And the reason why that's so, I say, Rifki, is because halachically, the, the, there's two aspects that trigger the Sota law one aspect is known as Kinui, the other aspect is known as Stira. Kinui is something which he does, Stira is something which she does. Kinui is this initial uh, you know, warning provoked by the husband's sense of jealousy or paranoia or whatever that is. And the second is Stira. Stira is, is her intimate seclusion in some room, locked door, locked bedroom with this uh, fellow, this specific right. fellow that the guy is suspicious of. It's
1: almost like they each have to be active in some way. He's active in saying to her, I'm not comfortable with you being alone with this man. And she She's active, and, and that also is in front of witnesses, and she's active in that she purposely is alone with this man in front of witnesses.
0: Right, and, and in front of the witnesses is the weird thing. It's like, you know, if you were going to have an exactly. affair, it's not like, hey, Phil and Sam, watch me go upstairs and and right. seclude myself in the bedroom with Bob. That's an act of spite. That's not an act of romance. Uh, so, so I think it's correct when you say this is a marriage on the rocks, right? It's almost more on the rocks because of the mutual suspicion and scorn than it is on the rocks by whatever might or might not be happening with right. uh, with this imagined or possibly imagined affair and this right. is sort of the background with with, with sota and basically the Torah seems to be creating the situation where if she wants she can sort of create a reset in the marriage there's a ceremony that the Taurus suggests will um will either exonerate her or implicate her she drinks these waters very strange waters. These waters that are mixed by the coin it almost feels like a witch's brew. Uh, we got this... Uh, yeah, that was my first uh, instinct also. There's some dust from the ground on the... It felt uh, like the right? witches and, of uh, Macbeth, right? It does, it does. And the, you've that the scroll where this curse, This feels like it's Harry Potter, where this curse is, is erased. The letters of the curse, including God's name, is erased in the waters. And she drinks this. And if she's in fact guilty of adultery, she'll die miraculously and if she is in fact uh not guilty of adultery nothing's going on then not only will she survive the encounter but she'll uh, be guaranteed by god that uh, if she's childless she'll become pregnant and will be blessed uh you know with with the, with the lineage which may have previously right, which also her. sort of
1: seems strange right because when this marriage is in crisis um, assuming she's exonerated it's sort of strange to imagine that This is a couple that should really be having children. So I think that's another sort of question mark for us. And what
0: it seems to indicate is that there is the possibility, actually, of saving the marriage, that, that there is something that could happen here that would be constructive in terms of allaying the sort of mutual suspicion and scorn which has crept into the marriage. And seemingly it's because if what's happened is a sort of domino series of events that have started with you know, a husband's paranoia. And, you know, and you and I were talking about this a little bit yesterday, which is that, you know, the, the, the language for this in the text is that the kine ishno, there's a jealousy there, Right. There is something at least potentially not evil in a husband's jealousy over his wife. Right. There is a a good side to a sense of jealousy, because if they're, if you're jealous in a relationship, right, it means you care about exclusivity. Right. Right. And uh,
1: jealousy kind of like any other trait. Right. There's a way for it to be totally overblown and for a way to really to hurt the marriage. But jealousy in a in a slight way is kind of nice because it's really what it's really saying when I'm jealous of my husband spending time with other women is I'm really saying like, hey, like, I love you and I want us to have this, like, sort of exclusive special love between us. And it makes me a little uncomfortable to think of you sharing that. And it's kind of a nice thing.
0: Exactly. And imagine the Sota case. Imagine a guy who really was concerned about an affair that his wife might be having and he didn't care. Right? It's like he he couldn't be bothered to bring it up. He had other things to think about. Right, but he was actually, he was actually something that crossed his mind. It was actually, but it didn't provoke any sense of jealousy. That's also right. a marriage in crisis.
1: Not a good sign.
0: Not a good sign, right? So there is an appropriate role for this sort of male jealousy, but it also can, like any other thing, get out of hand, right? What if the husband's paranoid? So then you've yeah. also got a marriage, in, you have the beginning of a marriage in crisis. And what if the wife reacts to the husband's paranoia instead of like, okay, you know, let's talk about it. We'll find it. We'll go to the therapist, figure out a way to do it. With With scorn. With no, I'm actually going to double down on this and I'm going to specifically seclude myself in front of witnesses. So seemingly what the Torah is doing is creating a way out. And this is how the sages understand it. The sages say that God allowed his own name to be erased in the service of peace. Right? which is that God's name is included in these curses that are erased in these waters. Normally you don't erase God's name. God says, for this, I'll erase my name if I can bring peace back into the relationship. It's interesting. It feels yeah. like
1: there's something about a marriage in this case that God is sort of trying to make a claim that this is like the ultimate sacred relationship and he will sacrifice himself for the sake of this marriage. Yeah. And I think it's really interesting, right? It's one of the Asereta Dibro, right? Not to take God's name in vain, not to not take God's name seriously. And it almost feels like writing this name and then letting it be erased is the epitome of just sort of ignoring it. It's not it's not a big deal. It's total disrespect. But we're we're overriding that for the sake of this marriage. That That's pretty intense.
0: Actually, if, now that you bring up the Aseret HaDibrot, isn't it interesting that there's a little cluster in the Aseret dibra Yeah. Uh, for yep. those of you who have been, you know, around the block with the Aleph Beta, uh, AlephBeta.org, you can find uh, one of our most popular courses is actually a course that I did on the, the Ten Commandments, which we've actually just recently remastered and, and created sort of beautiful animation around. But the essential thesis of that course is that there are. Uh, couplets in the Ten Commandments. There are corresponding pairs. So the two tablets actually correspond to each other in their five commands. One and six match up each other. Two and seven, three and eight. So if you look at two and seven, it's actually idolatry on the right-hand side, which corresponds to adultery on the left-hand side. And it's, again, two kinds of sacred relationships. And if you look at number three, right, number three, the next one down from two is, as you've said, a law that requires us to take God's name seriously. So, right after you have idolatry you've got take god's name seriously and god seems almost with this sort of uh, reference to the ten commandments saying yes you're supposed to take my name seriously right and there's this thing about idolatry and adultery but you know what when there's a concern about adultery i'm willing to sacrifice my name to clear it up between yeah, you guys
1: that's really interesting yeah thinking of all of those overlaps here
0: Right. It is kind of interesting. Anyway, so the idea seems to be that God feels that that there is a chance to bring back some sort of reset into this marriage. Right. Which is almost as if you can imagine this paranoid guy who's really worried about his wife and Bob right and and it, it really his issue is is that the the, mar- the marriage has gotten to this point where he can't even accept her reassurances right uh, she's saying to him look there's nothing nothing going on between me and bob and the reason he can't is cuz this the, his concern is is that her primary allegiance if she's having an affair with bob then maybe her primary intimate allegiance is to bob and not him so maybe he's she's lying to him and and and, and th- th- this has gone off the rails so essentially what the, ter- the ter- is saying is you can imagine this guy thinking if if only there would be a, a sign from heaven right if only i could have some sort of objective clarification here right then somehow that can make it all better and the example which i was thinking about which may be a crazy example but, uh, just at the risk of mixing uh, politics and 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 religion Ooh. and intimacy all together in one explosive brew right uh,
1: you 're getting into a really good marketer by foreman
0: thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> I invoke a special counsel investigation of the President. Not that anything like that might be going on right oh, but, <laughs> but but for leaving out what may be or may not be happening uh, in our current political climate, but if you would imagine the idea of a special counsel investigation, the way it's supposed to work, right? Something that you'll hear in democratic circles is, yeah, if the president would just let the let the investigation go and he's really innocent, it would be better for him because it would publicly exonerate him. Now, whether or not, you know, you would counsel the president to do that or not, there is a certain kernel of truth in that argument, right? The original purpose of the special counsel laws is to try to create an independent, uh, something independent, something that's completely outside of partisan politics, something that does not beholden to the president's Justice Department, not beholden to Congress, some independent counsel, which could somehow verify this issue of whether a president at the top pinnacle of power you know has been unfaithful essentially you know to his oath of office and in the best of circumstances an independent counsel is supposed to provide independent verification and if independent verification comes and exonerates the president that's actually good for the office and it's good for the president. It's actually a good thing. Um, and that seems to be what's going on over here, which is that you could you could imagine a situation where uh, an independent council would do its work, come back after a year and say, uh, you know what, we have searched every corner. There is no basis for suspicion here. Everything is fine. And you can imagine a situation where if the, the council is truly independent, where that provides a reset for the American people for trust in its leader. What's happening over here is you seem to have the ultimate independent council, the ultimate independent party, God who has no horse in this race, right, between the husband and wife, coming out of the clouds and saying, I'm willing to be that, that verification, I'm willing to provide that kind of reset.
1: So, Reforming, that's a really interesting idea. It's almost like, it feels like the truth will set us free, right? If it's like this marriage that's in crisis, once we have sort of a final understanding of, look, I know you were suspicious. I know you didn't trust me, but look, God himself has come down and decided, no, 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 actually, you didn't do anything wrong. You're good. Do you think fundamentally at that point that now the husband and the wife can look to each other and be like, okay, we're good now. We're, we have now a sort of a happy, stable marriage. I get that maybe it, it's a step one, and maybe God is saying, and the husband and wife are both saying, like, no, you know, that just means that we can reconcile in the future. But to me, it's not like we all walk away from this feeling like now we're in a good place. Now we love each so, other. Now we're reunited. Right. And now we're so. Happy. I, I would say
0: that I, I'm not saying that the Sota ritual is the be all and end all replacement for marital right. therapy. Right. So the Torah is not coming and giving it's you more a like complete a one, psychological handbook. But it is a reset, right? You can imagine a situation after that where, right, if you imagine, let's play out what happens. Wife drinks the water. Wife is exonerated, right? Walking home. Best case scenario. Husband is like, OK, I guess I was a little paranoid. And she is like, yeah. And it really ticked me off when you were as paranoid. And that's why I ran up to the room and secluded myself with Bob in front of those witnesses. It's mm-hmm. like, can we what can we do to get out of this cycle? oh let's see Phil or Cheryl the therapist and let's do a little family therapy here and work out a better way of working this out other than getting us to this stage where we've got to get this reset where we realize oh my gosh this is just paranoia and oh my gosh this is just scorn and reaction to your paranoia and you know I I would actually refer you to a book which uh, you know which I've read I think you've looked at it also it's one of my favorite books you know Difficult Conversations uh, by the the Harvard. A favorite around the office here. It is a favorite around the office here. And one of the beautiful things about difficult conversations is that when you get into heated and difficult conversations, and there is no more difficult conversation, I would imagine, than the kind of conversation which provokes a SOTA issue between uh, between a marital couple. Uh, But when you look at um, a difficult conversation like that, one of the instincts of human beings is basically to go to blame, right? Which is one of the reasons why arguments happen and and are so difficult to resolve is because you focus on the past and you focus on the past specifically on the past for its own sake in other words what did you do and should you be blamed for it and am i going to hold you in contempt for what it is that you've done so the the unhelpful conversation afterwards between husband and wife is like yeah but why did you have to run up to that room Right. So, you know, you're to blame. And it's like, no, but what do you have to be so paranoid for? And you're the blame. But the other possibility is sort of contribution system, which is that it's interesting that the SOTA situation does not come about without con- contribution, possibly negligent contribution by both the man and the woman. Right. The man is like going out of his is, is making this 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 accusation against his wife. His wife is is flaunting his request in terms of that. They both may be over the line. And and certainly if I was uh, playing uh, Cheryl or Phil, the marital therapist afterwards, uh, you know, uh, there are choices which each could have made that would have avoided this. And in a reset where it's like the truth has been established, maybe they have the ability to evaluate those choices again.
1: Right. And I guess think a little bit more clearly at that point, less from a place of sort of emotion and anger and defensiveness and pain and more from a place of trying to get past this and hopefully together.
0: Right. How do we avoid this kind of cycle in the future? Anyway, what I wanted to share with you was an idea, uh, interesting, tantalizing, uh, intertextual hint actually, which uh, Emmanuel suggested. And I've been kind of running down uh, over the last day or so. And I don't know if there's something there, but I think that it's it, it, it's rather tantalizing. And I, I wonder where you think this might go. Cool. So l- 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 let's play our little game. Where have we heard these ideas before? Where have we heard these words before? So it turns out there seems to be another text sort of hovering over kind of a phantom Soto story. I wonder, right? So here's the deal. Um, the it, before
1: you jump in, Rabbi Foreman, yeah. one of the theories that we we sometimes talk about at Aleph Beta is that many of our laws that we have in the Torah are actually based on stories that happen earlier in the Torah. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if this is going to be an example where we think that maybe the two of them are going to be connected in that kind of way. An
0: interesting possibility, right? In other words, if the, this, uh, this other intertextual uh, Illusion uh, here actually is a story, right? And the sotah is a law. Right. So could it be that this earlier story in the Torah somehow becomes a template, as strange as it may sound, for right. uh, the weird... Uh, stuff in the sota, which might might, and it might go some way to explaining the weird ritual. By the way, because it could be that the weird ritual is some sort of replay of the original story. So let's let's kind of. Well, yeah, uh, we're getting we're getting out. too
1: ahead of ourselves in the yep. analysis before we even get into it.
0: That's right. So here's here's the data, folks. If you look at the ritual of the sota, so one of the things that happens is that there is this elaborate curse which is drawn up on a scroll and then it is placed in the waters. Right? And these waters are these strange waters. They're called the Mayim. Ha ararim the 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 cursed waters, and they're called cursed bitter waters. And what happens with the and one of the questions is why they're cursed waters in the first place? Why are we calling them? And I guess it's because the curse is uh, is it gets evaporated within them. But uh, if you look at the the language over here, and I refer you to verse twenty three, um, in what chapter? We up to chapter five in Bamidbar in Numbers. Mm-hmm. So if you look at that verse, the ha el that you write these curses down and the Kohen erases them, right? Macha el and you erases them in these bitter waters, a specific erasure of God's name, as well as the erasure of all the other words along with these curses. So here you've got something being erased in waters. If you think about these waters, another element of the waters, which is really kind of interesting, is that there's something else that's mixed in the water, and it's dirt from the floor of the Mishkan. He has to take dirt, dust from the the floor of the Mishkan and mix that into the waters. Uh, you know, a really strange sort of brew over here. Um, and so the question I would ask you, right, is um, does this uh, remind you Of any earlier episode in the Torah, especially perhaps given the language of Sota itself. I refer you to verse 12. The language for Sota is me'ila, which is a Hebrew word that uh, is spelled. Mem Ayin lamad, so Mem Ayin lamad Hey, or Mem Ayin lamad Malabomal, the, it means to, to trespass, right? A woman is suspected of trespassing against her husband. But it turns out that this other story seems to involve all of these elements and more, right? But just for starters, what other story involves the following elements? What other story involves water? What other story involves uh, the erasure of something in water. What other story involves dirt, right? Getting uh, erased and muddied in that water too. And what other story also has that word mem ayin lamed associated with the erasure of those waters with the dirt and all of that. So uh, Rivki, what do you say?
1: Okay, so I, I can venture a guess um, with the understanding that I do not have the encyclopedic knowledge that you do, but the, let's say there are four factors here. So we said water, this erasure, the dirt that seems to be mixed with water in some way, and then the, the language of Ma'al. So I think the the first instinct when it comes to water is, I think all of our first things when it comes to water, which is the flood story from Genesis. Um, and I think we have some of these some of these common links here. So the erasure is obviously the erasure of humanity, everyone except for Noah and his family. Um, and dirt as well, right? We have, or if correct me if I'm wrong, but we have in the story of Noah this idea that the land too, it gets mixed in with the water and it's all used to sort of
0: destroy the earth. But how does the water get mixed in with the land, right? It, well, it's a flood. It's a flood. It, 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 it grabs, flood all grabs all the land. It grabs all the land. That got his raining water on the land. And also, Risky, it's not just the ideas, it's the actual words. So the, the words of erasure... Right? That specific Hebrew word that describes the erasure of God's name into the waters. In Hebrew, it's macha. You see it there in the flood. So I'd refer you, if you open up your Tanakh, go back to chapter six in Genesis, verse seven. Right, I will erase man. Now it could have had a lot of words to describe. I'm going to kill man. I'm going to destroy man. But now I'm going to erase man that I have created from upon the face of the earth. And by the way, Rifki, where does man come from?
1: Man comes from the earth itself. Man comes from Adamah. Ah, and now we are erasing Adamah. man.
0: You're erasing. You see mm-hmm. what's happening? You're taking the And where? And what's the Hebrew word from the uh, the land that he's that 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 man comes from? Do you remember Adamah. And specifically, what does God take? Vayikach?
1: Afar minha ha'adamah.
0: Ah, Afar. There's that word. Uh-huh, and cool. what are you supposed to put in the Sotas thing? That min is ha'afar. Afar. asher And you're supposed to erase that in the waters too. Well, in the original waters, man, that originally came from Afar, was erased in the waters. And it's like man went back to the dirt. There's this water raining on the dirt of the land. And this water raining on man, and so all the men dissolve and become, go back to the dirt it's like it's the same thing happening it's almost like it's a recreation of these flood waters and then you've got this ma'al word too right
1: ma'al is the one we're still missing
0: so take a look at verse seven again in chapter six in the flood can you find the phantom ma'al
1: let me let me read out loud. Byomer Hashem, and God says, Et Adam. So we have that Macha word. I will I will erase man. Asher Barati Meal Ah, who was created from the face of the earth.
0: The word Ma'al in the story, ah, very cute. right, and the story of the Sota, is a play on words, perhaps. Of the me'al adama, right from upon the face of the land, and that's not just this, right? Take a look uh, at the type of offering, the the offering which accompanies the sota procedure is, and I refer you back into Bamidbar uh, He, and now look at Pasuk Tet Vav. So we're looking at chapter five in Numbers, verse fifteen.
1: Ki minchat Oti, because this is a mincha of of jealousy mincha zikaron, maskeret avon, because it is a, a mincha of, of memorial or of remembrance
0: in some way. Right, some sort of remembrance, a mincha, some sort of offering of remembrance, as if the deeds of this woman are going to be remembered for ill or for good. If she's innocent, that's going to be remembered, to be exonerated. If she's guilty, that'll be remembered. So there's some kind of, of Din, some sort of judgment involving remembrance, and now take a look. Couple that with something else here in Sota. Take a look at verse 14. Read the beginning of that and put this together and tell me what in the flood does it remind you of? The avar alav ruach kina,
1: and the spirit of jealousy came upon him. The etishto, when he is jealous. And I think look at those first three alav.
0: words. The avar alav ruach. What does that remind you of the flood? Va'avar Allah ruach. In context, it means that a feeling of jealousy passes over him. But the word ruach doesn't literally mean feeling, right? What does ruach literally mean?
1: Ruach is, is a wind of some sort. It's a spirit. So what spirit. does
0: a wind passing over remind you of in the flood?
1: That feels like the ending of the flood itself.
0: Ah, it is the ending of the flood. So what the beginning of the sota is, is the end of the flood. Right, the beginning of the Sota is the feeling of jealousy that triggers all of this. The end of the flood is what? Take a look at chapter 8 in the book of Genesis, the very beginning.
1: Vias Elohim et Noach, and God remembered Noach. Oh, there's that zikaron. Oh, remembrance.
0: There's that zikaron. Yes. And what happened when God remembered Noach?
1: At the end of the Pasuk, Via Ver Elohim Ruach al Haaretz. And God made this Ruach, this wind, pass over the earth.
0: Fascinating, right? So at the very end of the flood story, there's another kind of zikaron, which is a mirror image of the sota kind. Uh-huh. The sota is, is is a feeling of jealousy that triggers what ultimately may become a destructive event for this marriage and for the woman and for everything, right? But at the end of the flood, you have another kind of remembrance, which is actually life-saving which is God's remembrance, which is exactly the same words, right? And that's
1: also the zikaron for her, right? For the zikaron for the sota, in some ways, is meant to sort of be the first step in the reparation of the relationship.
0: Exactly, because it can be, right? Uh, Ultimately, if you, let's let's go back to the reset we talked about before, right? The hope of the reset. If you can put paranoia and jealousy behind him on his side, and you could put scorn and anger and retribution behind her on this side, like if you are really thinking about what's gone wrong in their marriage, what's gone in their marriage is that their marriage has become a terrible uh, clash of power dynamics. It's like the love has, has seeped out of this. In a strange kind of way, I wonder if something like that is it the case that when God remembers Noah and God causes a wind to blow upon the waters to kind of begin the possibility of restoration of the world, right, If you think about the blessing and the curse, right, there's a curse going on here. There's cursed waters here in the flood, too. The cursed waters have destroyed man, but they've saved one man, right? And what's the blessing that Noah gets immediately after this?
1: Lo so osifla Kalel od Etadama. There you God. go. Wow, that's where it's, Kalel that the, curse.
0: There it is. Right? I'm never again gonna curse the land through water like I've done here. Cursed waters. And instead, what does he say to Noah? I have a job for you. You're supposed to come out and what's your job?
1: To have children.
0: Oh, you have to have wow. children. Wow, just like the sota. The just sota like is the blessed sota. with children Exonerated as part of the reparation sota. of their
1: relationship. So, everybody, Foreman, I think just to, just to put things together and maybe spell things out more clearly, one of the things that we were saying at the beginning of this podcast episode was that um, it looks like this relationship between husband and wife is 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 in disarray and it's almost at the verge of completely breaking apart and there being no way to resolve it. And what the hopefully the the Sota laws do is they sort of start to maybe repair the relationship. It's almost at the point of of, of being broken completely, but maybe this can repair it. But I think in some ways, it was a little bit of just a theory. But now that we can connect it to Noah, and those connections feel very real, right? The textual connections, and there are also thematic connections here. And it seems like the story of Noah is also about a relationship that is in disarray, this relationship in disrepair. And that's the relationship between humanity and God, right? God's looking at the people of the world. What is with these people? I created them. I was happy with them, but look what they're doing to each other. Look at their, right? Kiraba Ra'ata Adam Ba'arets. The Kol Yetar Machavotli Bo Rak Ra. It doesn't sound These that a lot like awful. the
0: accusation of a jealous husband, of yes, an angry yes. husband. It's like you're always bad. You know what I mean? And maybe yeah. you are always bad. But it's like, it, it, you know, it, so I guess I, I'm not sure. And this uh, I, I invite our readers kind of, or our listeners to kind of consider this. Right. But it seems like. It might be that there is a precedent for a sota in the stories, as you talked about before. Our, our laws seem to emerge out of our stories. And it seems that the law of the sota might be hearkening back to an original kind of me sota, the waters of the sota, which could either destroy or heal. In the case of the humanity, it destroys some people, and it then these waters provide for blessing in a way. There are the life saving for Noah, which is immune to them, almost as if the exonerated person is immune to them, right? And and I wonder and this is completely speculative, and I could be completely off here, but let me maybe close out our our little podcast with the following uh, possible thought, uh, understanding that it's just possible. One of the the greatest puzzles of the Noah story is that the reason why God destroys the world is suspiciously similar to the reason why after the flood, he promises that never again will he destroy it, right? Rifki, go back to that language for why God decides to destroy the world in the first place, when that language that we talked about before right. sounding almost like a jealous husband.
1: God says, V'chol yeter machshavot libo rak rak kol hayom. That the nature of man, the nature of humanity, is just bad.
0: Right. And, and look at that language, yetser Lev, right? The inclination of his heart is just evil, is bad all days of his life. Okay, now fast forward to after the flood. Why does God say he's never again going to destroy the world?
1: He uses almost the same language, ki lev hadam ra minora, because the the inclination, the heart of a man, is bad from his youth. It, it's basically saying fundamentally the same thing, that man is bad. But before he said, man is bad, and therefore I have to destroy him. And now he says to Noah, man is bad, and therefore I will save you, and I will never do this again.
0: And so th- there's this great puzzle, which I don't think we can solve really in the, in the context of, of the last few minutes of this podcast which is how could the reason why God's going to destroy the world become the reason why God will never again destroy it? You know, if I was snarky, why couldn't I go back to God and say, God, you know, if you if you had taken a different attitude five minutes ago, maybe we wouldn't have had a flood, right? It's it's almost like there's there's something changing, but it's almost like what changes isn't man. It, and it's almost like what God is doing is sort of giving this reassurance that yes, I know that you're evil, and I and and right, you can imagine Noah saying, "Look, how do you know if it happened once, it could happen again? How do you know people will never get this bad? You're telling me to have all these children. What if you decide to destroy them again?" And God says, "No, I'm not right. going to do that because I'm actually looking at the reason why I, I destroyed you, and never again will I destroy for that reason. Why?" And maybe the answer is something about the relationship has changed. There's been a reset in the relationship between God and humanity.
1: Ribbit Foreman, that is incredibly cool. And you've given me also a lot to think about. And there's so much more to say about this. But actually, this is a really good transition because we have a ton of videos about these particular topics at alphbeta.org. We have videos about the flood. We have videos about stories that relate to laws, right? There's so much more uh, hundreds of hours of audio and video content. If you go to alphbeta.org, you can just get started watching for free or for a small monthly fee, you can get unlimited content. And actually, Ripper Foreman, Partial Lab listeners get a special coupon. You get 50% off of your first month with the coupon code. You ready for this, Ripper Foreman? We'll be writing it down.
0: Baited breath. Partial
1: Lab. All one word.
0: Oh, that's so partial original. Ab. That's so I know, original. I know,
1: I um, know. And if you have any questions, uh, if you have any thoughts, any comments, you vehemently disagree, you are obsessed and you want to hear more, just email us, info at alephbeta.org. Rabbi Foreman, thank you so, so much for potting with me.
0: My pleasure. See you all next week.